0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Intentional Performers Podcast. I'm Brian Levinson. Before we get started today, I want to tell you about 2 Betties. So 2Bettys has partnered with us at the Intentional Performers Podcast. They are healthy snacks. So they come in these packs of two. Each one is about 100 calories each and they have no sugar in them. They are really healthy. And right now it's about three o'clock and I just ate a couple of 2 Betties to give me a boost, to give me some energy. Uh, throughout the day, our focus can start to go. And I know for me, having a good, healthy snack can help me. Me be productive for the rest of my day. So go over, check Two Betty's out. It's at twobetty's.com. And when you go over there and you order some of their snacks, you want to type in a promo code intentional and they're going to give you 15% off of your first order. So thanks to Two Betty's for supporting the podcast. And please go over there and support Two Betty's as well. We also have our Patreon homepage, which is Patreon.com backslash Intentional Performers. And over there, you can subscribe to our podcast. You can throw us a few bucks, $2 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, and it will get you a shout out on our show. And today's shout out goes over to H&R Retail. So the guys over at H&R have been a big supporter of the podcast. My message of the day as well. So if you happen to be in the retail business in the Washington, D.C. area, and you need a broker or someone to look after you, go over and check out hrretail.com. Our friend Brad Buslik, shout out to Brad, uh, can help you out. He's great at what he does, and we appreciate all the support Brad and the guys over at HR Retail have given us over the years. So thanks to everyone who continues to support the podcast, whether you're sharing it, whether you're going over to Patreon or going to check out Two Bettys, we are excited to have you as part of our community. And now we are going to cue the music You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Excited to share today's guest with you. Ben Olson uh, played his professional career with D.C. United in Major League Soccer. Before that, he played for a soccer powerhouse at the University of Virginia. And today, Ben is the head coach of the team that he played for, D.C. United. So Benny is someone who's been around soccer his whole life. He has played it at a very high level, collegiately, professionally, and now coaches at a very high level. And he also played for the U.S. national team. So he's been around some of the best soccer players that our country has seen, and he also had amazing success as a player with DC United, which some of those teams are considered some of the best teams of all time in Major League Soccer. And Benny and I have gotten to know each other over the years with some of my work with his team at DC United, and Ben is just a really authentic guy. He doesn't mince words. He speaks truth, and he is somebody who, as 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 soon as he enters a room, people feel him. He's a warm guy. He's somebody who's very inclusive. If I were to describe Benny in one word, I would use the word inclusive. Then the second word I would use when describing Ben is, is humble he that'll probably come across during our conversation today he's somebody who certainly has had some amazing accolades when it comes to soccer but ben really downplays himself and is quick to give credit to others so he has all the marks of a leader he's someone i have immense respect for and i'm fortunate to call a friend so i'm excited to share ben with you and ben is not on social media so if you could share this conversation via twitter Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook, wherever it is your social, I would really appreciate it. And I think getting Ben's message out there and his story uh, is something that people can really benefit from. So without further ado, I'm excited to present to you, Ben
1: Olson. So Benny, why don't you just start? Tell me about your upbringing, your family. Uh, what was life like in the Olson, Olson household? It was, it was uh, I feel very lucky to grown up in a,
2: a small town in Pennsylvania, brother, sister, uh, mother, father. Parents got divorced. Um, didn't know a lot about that. Um, how old are you when that happened? And then officially, I was in college when, when I knew about that. But um, they were uh, separated and did a good job disguising that part. Um, so, at the point of when we recognized it, it wasn't that big a deal. really they wait?
1: You know, they wait for you to go off to
2: college to? They did. Yeah. Um, and it's amazing how naive you are as a, as a kid and not recognizing some of the um, the signals. Uh, but overall, it, it was you know that didn't affect I, uh, my happiness growing up. It was a, a, again a small town, small community. Uh, basketball, football, uh, wrestling ruled at the high school. Did you wrestle? Community. I didn't. Um, I, Did people try to get you to wrestle? Th- they didn't. Um, I, I from day one, I, w- I was into soccer. I was into basketball. Um, uh, I was into roller hockey. It, it was it was a type of town where you got up, um, and if, if you take look, take the summer where uh, you got up and you played sports. Anyway, baseball, home run derby. Then you're off to the, the blacktop and you're playing basketball. Um, I didn't play soccer. You know, I, I played soccer in a, more of an official
1: with the club um, on the weekend with the local team. So, but you're playing at the school or at the park, hockey, roller hockey, basketball, front yard football, whatever. You always find a game of something, it didn't matter.
2: Um, and
1: I love it. I want to go, I want to go go forward and then we'll come back. So, I know now you live in Washington, D.C., growing up with that environment, and now seeing your kids being raised in D.C., how does that push pull? Do you think about that at all?
2: I think about it a lot. I think about the, the, the wonderful opportunities they have. Um, but I also think about the lack of, um, you know, uh, all, the, all, the, all the good things that come with growing up in a small town. Some of the freedoms that I had. Um, some of the, you know, the exploratory freedoms that I had. My mom, okay, come back for dinner. We'll see you. Go out for the day. And I'd be going all day long. At, you know, 10 years old on my bike, do whatever you want, explore, um, and you, you, you got home for dinner,
1: you know. Talk about your siblings a little bit. So um, what was that dynamic like in growing up? and Had an older brother uh,
2: who was a, a talented uh, athlete, uh, you know, a, probably a, an all-state soccer player, went to uh, James Madison University and then transferred to Temple. Um, so growing up, I always had an older brother to – uh, to beat on me a little bit and, and to compete with, uh, a, a ping pong table in the attic, uh, that was basically a, a war every night, uh, in battles. And, you know, a lot of them would end with me throwing the paddle at my brothers. How much head. older is he? He's, uh, about four years older. Okay. Um, so, and I had a temper, I had a, a younger brother temper and I wanted to beat him in anything, uh, from day one. And, uh, I think he fostered that, and we—it uh, we, uh, was a physical relationship, but it was always in control, and it was—it was a lovable one. And uh, he's my best friend, wonderful influence in, in my life. Uh, my younger sister, uh, a couple years younger, I was—she uh, was a freshman when I was a senior in high school. Uh, just very, very lovable and supportive. Of an athlete, played basketball, uh, soccer—one of the best in the in the state in soccer. So. Definitely an athletic family, but it wasn't the uh, it wasn't the focus of of, of our family.
1: So, are, were you a freshman when your brother was a senior, or was he already? He off was out college? of school.
2: Yeah, he was at James Madison.
1: And so, soccer. He was someone who obviously took it pretty seriously. Uh, what age were you really starting to take soccer more seriously than just? It, it happened pretty quickly. Uh, again, basketball was
2: basketball, soccer, and tennis. Uh, you know I, I kind of portioned those three sports throughout the year um and then in and around say 13 12 13 years old soccer started to become a priority and it happened very quickly within um you know a, a year or two i found myself on the state team the regional team and, and now pushing into the national team picture and uh did you love one of those sports more than the other growing up as you look back? No, I didn't it, it, I didn't process things like that. It was just all fun. It was all fun. And it was chasing a ball or we competing, and there wasn't a moment that it was work. Yeah. And and that was, uh, I, 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 you yeah. know, I had a lot of energy. It was a, a great outlet for a kid like me. Um, my grades were good. You know, I was very competitive in school, and I, I didn't want to let people down. I didn't want to let teachers down. and Uh, I wanted to make. I felt a responsibility. I Grew up with a uh, in the Catholic Church, so uh, there was always a little bit of that weight of uh, doing the right thing. And and, uh, played CYO basketball, so it was. I was a good kid. I was. I was active, competitive, great, socially likable, socially likable. Yeah, yeah. I had a great. Yeah, it it was a great upbringing.
1: And then walk me through UVA and. Uh, that process and so, so that sped up and,
2: and next thing i know uh, you know i, I got some great universities to choose from and i was getting a lot of accolades in, in high school and uh player of the year my senior year so now i, I enter this other world from this small town and i've tried up to this point i traveled a little bit uh around the around the country for soccer uh so it came down to University of Virginia, Duke, Harvard, uh, Maryland, and, and maybe Rutgers at the time. So those were the type of schools I was looking at, um, and UVA at the time and won four national championships, and the academic side was you know, uh, uh, you know a very solid institution.
1: So you, but you're you're a big time athlete at this point, but you talk about things and getting to know you over the years in a authentically humble way. I don't think it's – I think some people say, say things in a humble way, but they say it just to sort of sound humble. But you have an authentic humility about you. Does that come from mom? Does that come from dad? Does that come from your older brother? Can you, can you pinpoint that or, or not really?
2: I guess all I could say is that it's, it's always worked for me. It's always felt comfortable um, speaking in that way. I I, I just, they'd never fit to, uh, uh, be boastful or, or or talk about myself in any other way and be a little bit more self-deprecating. Again, it just, it just fit me. My mother, you know, they, they, father, I I don't know if they, they gave me that. I I think it was in, in some ways it was just the right,
1: Fit for my personality. I I, I think a lot of kids, though, that I run into, want to do well to make their parents proud. Was that a piece of the puzzle for you? I've
2: I've always been a pleaser. You know, I've always been someone who wanted to uh, please the coach. You know, I wanted the 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 pat on the back from mom that I got good grades. Yeah, it was from day one. I don't I don't know where that stems from. Um, And again.
1: I don't know. I don't know. But that was my personality. But we're, but we're describing little Benny Olson. We're describing him as competitive, high energy, active. Was would that be how you were described? Yeah, I was.
2: Yeah, I, I was a little overly competitive, and, and as as humble as you know, maybe I, I'll, I come off as I, I was a. You know, when I was on the field, I was I was a bit much. I was a loud mouth. I was a. Uh, I was a shit talker um in in all aspects of the sport.
1: Were you like that um, outside of the sport ever? A little bit. Yeah, teachers. I was a, I was a
2: bit of a punk not to teachers. No, but you know, when it came down to sports, um you know, I, again, growing up in 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 a small town on the blacktop for you know, and we'd play for four or five hours. That Let's was go. a whole Saturday. Let's go, and and there's older guys there, and and you had to hold your own. Now I'm gonna and kick your ass every now and then. You know, uh, you you'd have to throw down, and it, it was it was a
1: really gritty uh town. Yeah, like I I know we've had these conversations, but I think when i look at great athletes there's a neuroticism to them in the sense that they want to either be perfect or they want to get the details right and have that attention but when they step on in between the lines it's me versus you it's a belief that i'm going to freaking take it to you do you does that resonate with you
2: yeah uh i i i, I suppose i you know, i go back to playing sports for me was it was just a, a wonderful outlet. It didn't matter again what it was. When I was playing it, I was, uh, I was, I was playing to my, to my max. Whatever sport it was, I wanted to win. And it wasn't something. It was just innate. It was just how I loved doing this. So there was no one moment or some adversity that said, "Oh, you know, you got to work hard for this." My parents. I, I had a little money. I could go to the movies. It wasn't some. A moment for me. It was just who you were good at it. You felt
1: normal in it.
2: You felt alive Absolutely. in it. Absolutely, and, and, and I, w- I w- wasn't, you know, it, the, the practice side of it. We we had a um, you talk about
1: uh, you know, a thousand hours and, and uh, thirty. How many? 30, Ten thousand. Ten thousand. Yeah, it's a little bit of uh, it's being knocked down by a lot of science now, but that's a, a story. It gets to get five hundred. <laughs> um, you know, I,
2: I would go to the, in the backyard, and I'd I'd hit a golf ball, you know, for an hour. I'd putt for an hour in, in a little corner of my yard. I would. We had a huge warehouse um, behind my house. Uh, I'd hit tennis balls against the wall for hours by myself. So, but that wasn't practice to me. I wasn't doing that to prepare for anything. It You're was playing. just smacking a ball. I I enjoyed the rhythm of hitting the ball and perfecting it and tweaking it a little bit and. Uh, the repetition, and I would count. And I had a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, you know, uh, let's hit ten in a row, perfect. You know, I had a little bit of that uh, in me as well, uh, growing up. But it was, uh, I, I don't know.
1: How about how about tennis versus? I'm going to put basketball and soccer on one side, and tennis on another side because tennis is an individual sport. It's what you love about tennis that well, my, you just went and played tennis my for a played hour. Tennis, okay.
2: Um, and uh, he was uh, a very good a uh, high school tennis player, and, and played uh, a little bit in college. Uh, he was a lefty, and growing up, I used to go to tennis camps where i where I'd visit my grandmother uh, and grandfather in New Jersey. They always wanted me to be a tennis player. So they'd send me to these great camps, and uh, that's where I learned to uh, play tennis. And, and what I loved about tennis uh, was that it was mano y mano. And I loved the fact that you had to restart constantly. After every point, here's another point. After every game, here's another half, another game. After every set, you have to reset.
1: And I love that process. Reflecting. Refocusing constantly. Reflecting back on tennis. Do you think tennis helped you as a soccer no, player? No question.
2: No question. I think about um, when I put my psycho dad hat on and the development of my kids and their sports. I think it's important to put them into some type of individual sport because, again, the amount of times you have to deal with adversity in a very short
1: amount of time. I don't know if you know this, but Dirk Nowitzki, that was his sport when he was growing up in Germany. Uh, and he really credits that for his footwork um, and developing his footwork and also his, his mindset um, for competing. Um, and you can imagine a seven-footer uh, like Dirk, but he said he still plays – uh, and I find that that crossover to me that stuff's fascinating uh, basketball Manu Ginobili growing up playing soccer uh, how he moves as a basketball player um, and you know you can see it in, in your sport too the other way with, when guys play other sports I, I think t- tennis gave me a, 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 the ability to refocus
2: and, and not dwell on negative events um, basketball which became again both, both huge loves of mine um, defensively is where I think basketball really gave me an edge when it came to um, soccer. Defensively, focusing defensive footwork, the concepts, mm. the concepts, our keeping friend, your man in front, pressure of you. on the ball, uh,
1: closing uh, weak space. side,
2: defending help defense. Uh, you know, and even if you go to offense, uh, skip passes, you know, moving the ball quick. Uh, movement off the ball, it, you know, a lot, a lot of similar concepts. There's so much overlap in these sports. Um, but I, I loved uh, my, the knock on me in, in basketball. It was, I was a, was a great dribbler, uh, could pass, a little flashy at times, uh, and I, I could play defense. I was the defensive uh, stopper for our our high school team. Mm-hmm. I, I would play their best guy, but I couldn't shoot, I couldn't score. I'd miss layups, I'd steal the ball, I, I'd miss layups, because I just never had the fundamentals. I didn't put enough time with the basketball uh, and, and, and shooting. But uh, it was I, I loved I loved the concept of being the defensive guy in every uh, every game. I was marking their their top shooter, their, their best guard, and I took it
1: very very seriously. So well, it's kind of like the motto motto from tennis that you then could apply over to basketball. I think that ability to un- understand as well. Like okay, this is my role
2: for this team. Yeah. And again, going back to being a pleaser and understanding it, and understanding I'm I'm not here, I can't shoot. I'm not going to be have any value with this team here, uh, so I better you know go a little bit higher in my value right, as far as taking some charges and being that guy to get steals. So uh, I was uh, helping the team. I don't know where that again. I don't know where that comes from. That's just how
1: my mentality works. Well, I think most people want to find value. They want to be valued. And uh, like I have suggested to basketball coaches and probably overstepped my bounds in the past that like every guy in your team should have a role. Like who's the guy that's going to hit the half court shot? That guy should be practicing. When There's going to be a time where you might need a half court shot at the end of the game. Put in the 12th guy on the bench let that guy practice half-court shooting. Like, what else is the purpose of him being on your roster? Make him the half-court shooter. Make a guy uh, the best inbound passer, whatever it is. So um, I I love – I'm not – I could probably overdo it with roles um, because I also think you want to develop people and help them. But I think in basketball specifically, there are things – like who's your best free-throw shooter? When the game's on the line, who's to say that the 12th guy who can't run, who's unathletic? Can't be your guy for free throw True. Sure. So, that's, I,
2: ironically, as a coach now, I think I uh, I underdo as a as a as a player. I'm very self aware of, of my roles, and, and and as a coach, I think uh, in some ways I, I I I could do a little bit more be a little bit more specific with
1: each player's role. Well, uh, it's interesting just from a player's perspective. And you go back, you, you it didn't matter what it was. You knew you had a job to do and. I'm going to go do it. And as a coach, assuming that all
2: these players think like understand that. the way I understood it, is wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's taken me a little bit of time to, uh, to come up with that.
1: Cool. We'll get, we'll get back into that. Tell me about the time at UVA, that experience for you. You go to this team that has huge expectations, uh, a lot of good soccer players. And what's the experience it like? in Charlottesville? you know,
2: I, um, it, it was, it was a soccer first experience for me. Um, They'd just come off of four national championships, uh, coming in highly touted. We had a great class. You know, everybody of the best of the best wanted to go there now, uh, so we had a great class of young, cocky kids coming in, um, and uh, it was things moved as usual. Swagger. We won. We we just punished teams. It was a, a, a very good freshman year. I played uh, quite a bit. And we lost in the, uh, in the semifinals. And that was, that was, it was crushing in that, again, I felt like, ah, they just won four. I came, I was the one to lose. I was, you know, I put that on myself, um, even though, you know, I played, I, I was a freshman. And, uh, but, you know, you go there, I went there to win a national title. That was what that was about. Yeah, it was a good institution and I would get a degree. But uh, that was one of the you know, things I wanted out of UVA.
1: Take me through a sophomore, junior year. So
2: sophomore. Uh, knocked out the first, uh, first round on an own goal. Uh, one of these upsets against George Mason. And uh, again, hey, okay, it's two. It's two years. Don't have one. I, I thought I was going to get one at this place. And then you go to your junior year where now I'm, you know, I'm I'm really playing it at uh, a really high level, and you're arguably one of the best college players um, uh, in the country. And scored a bunch of goals, and, uh, and we go to the finals and we lose to UCLA in a, in a game that could have went either way. Uh, and uh, it was, a really, uh, it was a very memorable time for me that one I knew I was leaving I knew I was going pro and I knew this was my last chance to get you know get what I went to UVA for so it, that was a tough uh, it, it was a tough time for me because I, again I I I don't know why I needed it so bad the championship um, but it was uh, it was really important to me and uh, you know, fortunately I went pro very shortly after and my focus was shifted to going to another perennial team in D.C. United, who's just come off of two MLS Cup champions.
1: But to give perspective to it, like growing up, were you ever thinking about playing pro soccer? Uh, you know, it's like, w- when did the pro soccer thing become something that is like, man, that might actually be fun for me?
2: It didn't register. Going to UVA, it was talk of a league, but uh, – you know, I didn't say I'm going to be a professional soccer player. It wasn't in my path. It was like, okay, you go you use this scholarship to get to school and you, you try to get a national championship um, and you get an education to
1: uh,
2: see what where the rest of your life takes In
1: some ways, what a blessing, right? Like to just get to be present, right? And like, I'm, I'm here. I'm here right now. I'm going to see how good I can get and if we can win. Uh, it, and maybe that's why it was so important to yeah. me because I thought that this was it. This was going to be
2: the top of uh, or the pinnacle that I would ever get to for sports and having a national championship. Uh, and there was a sense of letting the, the school down, and the coach down, and, and uh, okay, my class came in and all of a sudden three years there's nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I have nothing. And, uh, so yeah, it's. it's It was a a very good experience.
1: And at that point, you also have some national experience. Um, When did that stuff start? At that point, I'm I'm,
2: uh, I'm a part of uh, the under-20 national team and going to the under-20 World Cup. Uh, I took a semester off for that, uh, which was a great experience. It was in Malaysia. So I'm starting to travel now uh, through my college years with the national team and seeing the world. And then... Uh, become part of uh, the under-23 pool which is the Olympic team uh, So yeah it, and here comes the league the league comes my, my junior year the league's there and I'm watching this league and uh, they, they, they put in a program called project 40 and this program was about getting guys getting kids out of college saying we have to catch up to the rest of the world you guys are 23 24 or, or 22 years old. Europe, they're already playing pro at 18, 19. we got to get you guys out of school. Here's money to go to college if you want to go back to school. Um, and because I had a name at the time, I was uh, accorded to be one of those guys to leave school and, and, and go to the league uh, my junior year. So,
1: Any regret in doing that?
2: No, not, not, not for a second. Uh, Bruce Serena, who was my coach at UVA, the first year I got there, uh, left after one year and went, uh, uh, with D.C. United. And uh, he brought me to D.C. United from the university, Vinay went away to just bring me there. Uh, and then uh, after a year at D.C. United, he left again for the national team.
1: So you're now playing pro ball. You're in D.C. Walk me through that experience and, and what that was like um, and your experience as a pro. It, it was in some ways mimicked my entering
2: you yet. I'm coming into this powerhouse of a team that is a, a well-oiled machine, and my job is to just be another cog in here. And uh, it, it was a great environment. It was I had a great coach uh, talk about timing and, and luck. Um, my, the guidance, the, the guys that I could watch, and I was a sponge at this age, uh, you know, John Harkes, Marco Etrogary, Jaime Moreno, Richie Williams, Carlos Shimosa, Eddie Pope. I mean, I had to, I went to a team. I was a young, talented, hungry kid, and I had every type of veteran leadership. There were winners all over the place, and to be a part of that um, was uh, it really directed me in. I think to to have a successful career
1: was that different for you
2: than when you entered UVA. It, it, you know, because it's pro, and you're making money, and these guys are now, some of them are six, seven, eight years older than you, and they have kids, and all the dynamics the pros, the pro life brings was different, uh, but in some ways the culture of winning was the same.
1: The expectation,
2: the expectations uh, were, were very similar, and the the, the, the trainings in there. And again, the culture was similar because it was essentially a UVA culture brought to the pros. Right.
1: Um, We're going to bring in the best of the best, and they're going to compete like hell against each other.
2: Absolutely. And it was a it was a it was a bunch of motherfuckers. I mean, the the trainings were tougher than the games half the times, Mm. and uh, it was a. I, I often think about what if I went somewhere else? Where do I end up as a player if I wasn't if I didn't go to DC United that first year? And have those influences around me, those type of guys. Uh, it was again, it was just full of winners. It was full of guys that refused to lose and were ultra competitive. Um, and there was a lot of programs, there was a lot of teams in the league at that point that didn't uh, didn't have their shit together. Yeah. And whether it was coaching, whether it was the team, whether it's a the scout, they they weren't there and they didn't have that um, infrastructure.
1: Do you was have very fortunate Do you have any specific story? that you could remember that spoke to the culture or spoke to those individuals uh, being elite and, and being ultra-competitive?
2: I, you know, I guess I don't know if I have a specific story that would knock your socks off. Um, it was more of a week, uh, a day-in-day-out competitive environment, Right. Everywhere in the locker room, um, if we were, if there was ping pong, if there was a basketball game, if there was, you know, uh, training after training, the 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 intensity of it was, and maybe I'm making more of it because I was young and influential, and. and Coming in there with with big eyes,
1: but you felt as soon as you step in there, you need to compete and show that you belong. Is it like? Oh yeah, well that was I was that was a
2: constant with me. It didn't matter. Yeah, it didn't matter where I go. I, I need to prove now and every day that you know I need to be on the field and I need to please the coach and I need to prove to these other
1: players around me. That Did you, you end up taking there. any of their spots?
2: Um, very, very uh, early, I became a starter. Yeah, within a few games, I became. Was there any a resentment starter.
1: towards you as a young player doing that? I, you know, I, I, I
2: probably a little bit, and I wasn't quiet either. You know, once I got into that mode, I was. You know, I, I maybe come off a little humble, but I was. I was still a little noisy, um, and I would get into it a little bit. And I came in highly touted, so I'm sure there was. But I also think they. They knew that what I was going to bring to the table was something that uh, had value. What was it? Selflessness, um, work rate, um, and you know, uh, probably those two things, A- and competitiveness. You know, maybe maybe those three things um, that I thought had value to that team. And I, again, I was willing to adapt. I was willing. to... I was. Smart enough to know, like, okay, this team has – they're pretty well set. Okay, what, what's my role here? What, what, is he, what, is, what does the coach want me to do? Um, I was pretty self-aware in, in what I needed to to stay
1: on the field and help this team. Be a defensive stopper, right? goes back to that sort of, I'm going to find a way to add value to the team. So, um, yeah. okay, along the way, you guys win.
2: Yeah. We won uh, in 99, but uh, – there was a few losses leading up to that in national championship games, uh, and it was, uh, it was something that was hanging over my head. Uh, so when we did finally win in, in 99, it was more of a relief. I remember it was a big weight off my shoulders uh, because it was, I felt as if I was going to be someone that couldn't win the championship, could get there. Uh, but but uh, ultimately couldn't hold up a, a trophy. Whether it was in high school, going to the national championship and losing, or going to UVA um, and not getting anything, and then losing my first year in the MLS, uh, it was a, a, a huge burden.
1: What was that emotion
2: like? Winning? Well, I'll, I'll take you back to 98. I'm not a crier, uh, and... Uh, I think in my adult life, I've maybe cried once or twice. And after the 98 loss in the finals, a reporter came to me and said, do you think you're the reason? You've lost all these championships. What's going on? And I remember looking at him and I didn't say anything. I walked away and I went on the bus and I broke down and I cried. I was in the back of the bus, and I, I, you know, again, very, very few times in my life uh, have I broke down like that. Uh, so it meant that much to me to uh, to to win a championship. You know, you know the feeling it. Hey, maybe this was about me. I, I let this team down, and uh, fortunately, the year after, uh, I was able to to win a championship. Uh, I was named MVP. I scored a goal in the game. So it was a really, uh, it it was a a great moment for me, but it was a more of a moment of relief uh, than joy. Uh, I later won a championship in 2004. That was joy. That was, wasn't about relief then. It was about, uh, I I felt more of a part of that team. I had more of a, a role both on the field and off the field with the 2004 championship team. Uh, so, they were very two very different feelings after uh, my two championships.
1: As a coach, do you see that in your players? That push-pull of the weight of maybe losing, the idea of relief when they win a game? And how do you balance? Or I guess, is that okay? Is that healthy? How do you interpret that? Go ahead. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a loaded question. Yeah, how do you interpret that as a coach, knowing that maybe some of your players carry a burden like that, and do you think that's healthy? For I players?
2: do think it's healthy. Um, yeah, what, uh, I, I. think you want them to have some type of burden of wanting to have success for the organization. I think
1: that's a. I think it's a healthy thing. Yeah, it's like. Uh, Desire, drive, determination, and then when you get to the finish line, it's the culmination of that marathon.
2: Absolutely, at the end of these journeys, these, these micro journeys every year to hold the trophy um, at the end is is it's it. It's why we do this. It's why I've uh, I I went pro. It's, it's, it's why I went to uh, uh, an accomplished university, a team that was winning. That's what I wanted. I wanted to hold trophies. I never was concerned with the individual stuff, as,
1: as cliche as that sounds.
2: I wanted to be uh, on a winning team. Can you put into words or express the joy the second time around? Or is no. it just a feeling? No, I, I, yeah. yeah it, people. I don't know where it compares in my life. It wasn't like winning, having a child, yeah. and three children. That feeling is different than winning a championship. I, I can't describe it. Only people that I think are in the locker room have gone through that journey in the sports industry, uh, and you know, been, their eyes are burning with champagne, right? And the joy is—I wish I could bottle it up and give it around, but you can't. And I was lucky enough to to go through that twice as a player.
1: And talk about playing for your country uh, along the way. and Also something that I think most people just don't get to experience. What was that experience like for you?
2: I started playing for my country at an early age, 17, 18 years old, whether it was the under-18s. And then moved on to uh, the under twenties, and then representing the United States at, at the Olympics in Sydney, and then ultimately representing uh, at the World Cup in Germany. And again, another thing that you just kind of have to go through. And I don't know what I don't know what what is a comparison. I don't know how to explain it to people, but it's a special thing. And something I feel uh, very, you know, very humble and thankful that I was able to do that and uh, represent the country. But it was, uh, you know, to, to, to compete, in, in particular the Olympics and the World Cup, you know, when you have a country behind you rooting for you and, and you can feel that even though it's not in that country uh, is unique and it's something I'm, 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 I'm very thankful I had to, uh, that I, I could be a part of that.
1: Did you feel like you played better in those moments? You've got like massive moments, whether it's college, your pro career, World Cup, Olympics. I mean, these are, are big stages. Did you feel like you rose to those occasions? Do you feel like you were consistent and, and sort of stayed the same? How do you, how do you see that?
2: The bigger games,
1: uh, I felt like
2: I played better. Yeah. Uh, I had trouble. As a young pro motivating myself for the games that really didn't matter um, and, and being consistent. You know, if there was a big game and uh, there was something riding on it, there was a better percentage that I would play uh, at a higher level um, than the game that was on a Wednesday night in Kansas City, not a lot of fans. Uh, st- and that changed once I started getting older and, and realizing. My role on team was different and, and frankly, through visualization and some sports psychology stuff.
1: So tell me about the visualization and any other sort of mental tools that you felt like you had in your toolbox as a pro that helped you compete at the highest level
2: I was an inconsistent player uh, and an injury that kept me out for an entire season. And it made me think about the game differently as it does with most guys that take heavy injuries. Uh, When I came back, it was was twofold. I played in a different spot in the field. I played wide before, and then I became a central midfielder. In the center of the field, you have no choice. It forces you to focus because you're constantly in every play. Out wide, ball's on the other side of the field. It's easy to tune out. Uh, But I also, during that time I spent out, I went back to school, and I took a sports psychology class at American University. I never finished my degree as I left UVA early, and it was uh, it was interesting to you know I, I was always hesitant to go down the rabbit hole mentally. You know, don't go there. I, I was skeptic skeptical of sports psychologists. Uh, didn't buy any of their their methods, and you know, I thought visualization was a nice, happy medium. It was very simple. It wasn't going down too deep. Uh, simple reps of me connecting passes. Uh, uh, putting myself on the field uh, very 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 simple basic stuff 10 minutes five minutes 30 seconds consistently throughout the week and uh, i just became a more consistent player and and i think in in large part because of uh, because of that
1: you know that word consistency is something that athletes really harp on coaches really harp on I think a lot of times people don't attribute the inconsistency to the notion of feelings and thoughts and the idea that our feelings are going to be inconsistent. Um, if you're playing in the World Cup, your feelings are going to be different than playing in Kansas City. Um, and the thoughts that we may have are going to be inconsistent. There's You're human. like There's no way that that's not going to be inconsistent. But I think one of the things that visualization does and why you can link it to consistency is it says, I'm going to take some time to consciously think about something and control how I'm thinking and what I'm feeling and what I'm seeing uh, when there's an environment and sport is set up to uh, distract you from how you're thinking and, and the way that you want to feel.
2: Yeah, it takes, it takes emotion out of you. and you. You've already been there. You've seen this and, and you're preparing for the game. Uh, in a non-physical way, which is which is important, which is important. Uh, it's taxing, though. It became taxing because now I'm constantly the, the the older I got, the more I was doing it, and that means you're thinking about Saturday more throughout the week, and that's a burden. That that's that's uh, a, a lot to do. But
1: I've always been careful with visualization because I've had athletes, especially creative athletes, who. Uh, I've said, oh, I've tried visualization, and I feel like it stifles my creativity, or um, I, it's making me think way too much about the game, and I'm overthinking, and that leads to more thinking. And so, I, I, on the flip side of that, I have athletes who say it changed their career, or it changed the way that they they looked at their mind. So, um,
2: positionally, it was a very good tool for me because my job was to be simple and do simple things good win tackles get the ball to the guys that can make the plays, All right? so maybe from a a, a very creative winger who's uh, very dynamic and, and, uh, and an improv artist if you will maybe not i, I don't know but it worked for me be, and because of what I was doing on the field was very easy to replicate in my mind.
1: It makes complete sense. Gymnasts, big individualization. Why? Because they have to land and do the same routine every time. Uh, Wide receivers. I got to run the route, and then I got to show my hands. Uh, Even quarterbacks, to a certain extent. Like Aaron Rodgers, big individualization, because he knows I've got this here, I've got that there, and I'm just trying to go through my reads. Uh, Whereas others, you know, athletes like a – Shooting guard, or a point guard, or someone who has to come off and do things—it it may be different. But um, yeah, I think I think it depends on the human, and, and I agree with you. I think the role is massive,
2: and we'll see how virtual reality changes the visualiz- visualization process. It's fascinating. They, they stuff. Could, you can now take again the non-physical part of this is so key. And particularly a uh, Tom Brady; who, he can't get those reps throughout the week. His body can't take
1: it. So, yeah, VR, especially in the sport like football, is already, it's here. Uh, and quarterbacks, especially. I know Carson Palmer is big into it, and um, I think that's very real. I just want to get, I want to sort of start wrapping up with uh, your coaching. Um, your decision to go into coaching, uh, if you can explain the differences between being a player and a coach, and your mindset maybe and how it shifts as a coach.
2: Well, compared to a player. Well, I, I start off by saying I didn't want to become a coach. I didn't think it would be my path, but injuries derailed the, my career, and, and was a little bit forced into retirement. Um, fortunately, I was forced into retirement because I, I was uh, my ankles were were done. Uh, I had an opportunity to be an assistant coach with the with the team that I played for in DC United, and uh, it happened that they let the coach go six months later, and turned to me to be the interim coach. Uh,
1: How old are you at this time? Good question.
2: 33
1: years old. Uh,
2: Nowhere near ready to be a head coach. Uh, And didn't know if I was capable of being a head coach, but I said yes uh, as a loyal guy to the club. And I was hoping to maybe put a a year or two learning from a head coach and, and Finding out who I am as a coach and what my voice is and uh, what, what leadership style and what style of play. There was so much to learn. You, you know, you could do it for five years and still not be ready. Uh, but that was my path. And uh, I, I ran with it. And At the end of the year, uh, I asked for the job. And they went through some candidates. They, they interviewed some, um, some other coaches. and. They landed with me. They gave me the job, and uh, I'm still standing. So it's been about seven years. It's, it's been a been a good journey. It's been a, uh, learned a lot about myself uh, as a as a person and a leader. And uh, I'm, I'm I'm enjoying it more every year as I as
1: I uh, become
2: more comfortable in the role.
1: Loyalty is a word that I've heard you use. What do you What does loyalty mean?
2: I think I value it because I've always been loyal. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to stick with one club, which is a very rare thing in sports nowadays. To to play for a decade and now be coaching seven years at one place, <clears throat> I think you you start to live loyalty. If that makes sense, just because of this is this is my club. This is the club I love. It's it's what I've known for for most of my adult life. Um, Loyalty, in a basic sense, is putting putting the group before yourself, and I, I like guys that do that. I, I try to foster a culture where that is encouraged, but it's pro sports, and it's not always going to be the case. And I also understand that not every guy is going to be super loyal to the cause, and and to me and to the club and that there's a business side to this. And uh, you're going to run against athletes that uh, aren't that concerned with the badge. But I'm also smart enough to know that they can help me and uh, my cause. So it's a balance. You're never going to get uh, every athlete uh, in the mold of what, you know, the ideal mold that you want as your team. But You try to create a culture and foster that culture and, uh, and have more players than not uh, buy into that
1: so what I want to end with is a rapid fire, put you in the hot seat and ask you what I call preferences so uh, it's just which one of these you prefer, it's not necessarily a right or wrong, Uh, I've done this with a lot of people and uh, everybody sort of has different answers So, do you prefer preparing or performing? Performing as a coach or as a player? As a player,
2: it was performing. Mm-hmm. As a coach, it would
1: be more prepared. Okay. As, as a coach, do you prefer yes-sir players or why players?
2: Yes-sir players.
1: Do you prefer a system or autonomy?
2: They're all right down the middle. They're, <laughs> They're all both. That's why They're I? all both. How could I go one or the other on those? Right. I. You have to have structure, but I, I within the structure uh, that I'm giving the players, uh, I, I think I give them a lot of freedom and a lot of creativity uh, within that structure.
1: So I think this one it won't be right down the all middle. Right. So I'll help you out. Prefer the most valuable player or the most improved player. I prefer them. I need them both. I, I, so this is right down it, the middle like again. Yeah, they're all right down the middle. Would like, you have preferred to be the most valuable player or the most improved player as a player?
2: The most valuable.
1: You prefer a resume or a eulogy? A eulogy. Why? I
2: don't. But resumes don't do it for me, you know. I, I rather, I rather hear about the person some of the the meat and the stories and uh, a little bit more in depth than what they've done. Uh, what they've done to put on paper.
1: You prefer your generation or your parents' generation?
2: I like my generation. Uh, I respect my parents' generation. I respect everybody's generation, but I'm comfortable with it with our crew.
1: Positive feedback or negative feedback? Yes.
2: Right down the middle, a little bit of both.
1: Culture or talent? Come
2: on, man. I mean, write down the uh, you Right down the middle. I need them both. We need, we need good culture, but you better have talent within that good culture or you're not going to be a coach very long. Liked or respected? This is an interesting one, right? Well, I've always been a guy who uh, wants to be liked. Uh, Each year I get a little bit more comfortable in the role in not being liked uh, because that's part of this. You can't please. Uh, all professional athletes. You know. But it's interesting
1: because one of the things you said earlier is I'm a people pleaser.
2: I'm a pleaser. And that's something that I've had to work on uh, over the last seven years. Uh, because as a player, it's easy to be a pleaser, right? Oh, yes, sir. Coach, you got. It. I'll do that. Um, but as a coach, it's a, it's a different ballgame. It's, it's, it's unattainable. And when you can understand that that's out of your control you can start to deal in that with that in the right way
1: i i had you know, someone tell me or like everybody wants to start everybody wants to play as a coach who's holding the keys to the minutes kingdom it's pretty hard to be well liked by everybody if everybody wants minutes it's impossible
2: uh when this becomes their livelihood and you stand in the way of them making money uh, and you stand in the way of them uh, having success however they view success more times than not uh, as the years go on it's it does become more individual in, the, in this day and age each year I think athletes are Little bit more um, concerned about themselves than than the group, I and mean, that's, that's that's always going to be a challenge. Risk taker or rule follower?
1: Either one. I'm both. Starter on a losing team or towel wave on a winning team? You love this one. That's one of my favorites. You love this one.
2: I'm a player. I mean, I, I need to be on the field. I always, that's what I've enjoyed from day one, so is playing the game mm-hmm. and not sitting on the bench.
1: Like most elite athletes that I talk to, like the towel waving is just not going to get them out of bed in the morning. And that's not to say you're not a team guy, but you want to be influencing the team. And if you believe that you can help, get me out there. It's
2: different for you. I I need to be on the field. I need to be playing. This is what this is what I love. This is what I'd love to do. From when I was you know first picked up a basketball, baseball, anything. This is what I love
1: to do. So I want to be in the game. I don't want to be watching the game. It's that's that makes sense because when you talked about why you played as a kid, you played because you loved right. playing. It wasn't because you loved cheering. Right. Um, You know it, that's
2: logical to right. me. I wanted to play and win. There wasn't, they didn't want to sit on the bench and win championships. I, I, I didn't have a lot of interest in that as a player.
1: Do you prefer balance or specific obsession? Balance. Prefer fear of failure or fearlessness?
2: I prefer fearlessness. I preach fearlessness. But there's always fear of failure. Prefer disassociating from pressure or embracing it? Mm-hmm. again it's we preach preach embrace mm-hmm. it's, it's part of this and they're pro athletes and they can they should be able to handle that and mm-hmm. understand that when those moments come mm-hmm. you know, reminding them and having them home that this is it you, can you find a way to enjoy this mm-hmm. and, and embrace mm-hmm. the opportunity that you have but it's it's a difficult thing because there's a lot of weight to those moments, and then you know, fear, failure, and these other things start to creep in. And but yeah, it's a, it's a good question.
1: Last question, and then I'll let you off this uh, this hot seat. Um, how is your mindset different for preparation, than it is for performing?
2: Preparation becomes it's different. Coach or player, right? Which two? Starting player, uh, as as I said, preparation as I got older became more important, um, and it helped me become a, a, a better player. Preparation from a coaching standpoint is—I don't want to say—is—is is, is everything because. Performance standpoint, you still there's some uh, you're still making adjustments on, on, on game day and, and substitutions and, and things like this on the preparation side and making sure that
1: and and to a certain extent the preparation of your performance decisions
2: uh, at the moment is right and you're you're, you're doing all your work uh, leading up to to game time it's very very important I've learned that. That part is more important. Just as when I was a player, as I got older and more experienced, I, I continually realized how much more important it was. And the same as a, as a coach. And I think we're preparing uh, more now, and, and our players are more prepared um, I, the more I do this. When do you start over-preparing? Uh, I guess that's a, a whole nother podcast.
1: whole other one. So let's end with that. Um, I just want to say, well, I've got you here. Uh, one of the things that I think really makes you special, Benny, is when when you walk into a room, you look people in the eye and you make them feel like you were focused on them. And I know for me, uh, when I first started working with you guys, that feeling made me feel like I was part of the team. And I think that connection and that ability, whether that's something that you learned over time or something you had when you were a kid, I think is a special quality. And, uh, I hope that comes across. I don't know if it can come across in a microphone, but your energy, your enthusiasm, when you come into the room, there's a, there's a spirit, there's a, there's a vibe, and I think that permeates amongst your coaches. Um, I think you try to surround yourself with people that also can give some of that. But I know every time I'm with you, I feel excited. I, I said to my wife uh, before I came out here, I go, I'm really excited to see the D.C. United guys. I'm really excited to just be around them, and um, I'm not going to even say it's positivity because I think that's not accurate. But there is a a spirit or an energy, um, a team, and I think that selflessness is is apparent.
2: Well, I appreciate it, and being inclusive, right? I think is a huge part of my leadership style, and and I think it's a a crucial component to it, and uh, one of my. Better components, if you will. And, and, and you're part of it. You've helped us in a big way over the last couple of years with our group. And uh, I think taking us to a next level uh, you know, mentally and, and uh, from a being prepared standpoint. So uh, thank you as well. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for uh, chatting, of
0: course. Thank you for listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson. Here is this week's episode, Jam.
2: I thought visualization was a nice, happy medium. It was very simple. It wasn't going down too deep. Uh, Simple reps of me connecting passes, uh, uh, putting myself on the field. Uh, Very, very, very simple, basic stuff. Ten minutes, five minutes, 30 seconds consistently throughout the week. And uh, I just became a more consistent player.